title of this message, if you're taking notes, is Starved Anxiety. Starved Anxiety. Rory, are you recording? All right. We're going to talk about fear tonight. Talk about anxiety. Talk about worry. And I was very worried just now. But Jeffrey was such a champ. That was well-deserved. Good job, Jeffrey. Where is he? Is he in the bathroom? Oh, geez. Okay, good. Well, as you know, we've been learning in our series called Leap in the Dark. We've been learning about taking a step of faith even when you don't fully see what's happening. And last week... We learned about the fact that Jesus is who he said he is. And he said that he was God. Not just a good person, not just, you know, a good teacher, but he himself was God. And from that, we also learned that he is our Sabbath rest. The person that we can trust uh, with everything. And sometimes we work so hard and we're trying so hard to do everything. But the best thing that we can do is just fully rely on him. And tonight what we're going to talk about is a situation, two situations actually, in which people were worried, yet God was there and met them right where they were. So why don't we pray and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you that no one died in Fear Factor. And Lord, we're asking you right now to speak to our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit that we be able to receive everything from you, Lord, that you give to us. We know that you're the living bread, but we're to, to be partaking of that and not just leaving it to the side. But, Lord, your word is life, and we believe in that, and we want to hear from you. So speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a donut shop that opened up in Massachusetts called Honeydew Donuts. And yet, has anyone ever heard of Honeydew Donuts? I didn't either. But apparently, apparently this donut shop does not sell donuts. They sell healthy food, but no donuts. Because the powers that be in the government in Massachusetts did not want them to serve these unhealthy treats. And what's interesting to me about this is I feel that's kind of how the world is. It advertises something that it can't give you. And you see, Jesus is the only one who can give you food that lasts, that satisfies. Jesus is the only one who can provide for every single one of your needs. And so what happens here, if you look at verse 1, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. So this great multitude, it starts to follow Jesus because he's gaining notoriety. Now people are starting to hear of God's works and what he's doing on the scene. You know, Jesus didn't grow up, as we talked about. He didn't grow up kind of like the super baby and like zapped flies when he felt like it and healed people. But he didn't start his ministry until he was 30 years old. And that's why his own brothers and sisters didn't even believe that he was God. So, did he have sisters? Darn it. I don't know. Someone find that out for me. (laughs) His family didn't realize that he was who he said he was. And many people didn't receive him because of that. 
But when he started doing his miracles, you see, people started to follow him not for who he was, but for what he did. And the same case is with this multitude here. They weren't true followers. They just wanted to see him perform. And in our day and age, what happens is people will follow God for the wrong reasons. People will come to church for the wrong reasons. Some of you are here because you had no choice in the matter. Your parents brought you here. Some of you are here because you're like, you know, you're single and ready to mingle. And you're like, all right, let me go somewhere where there's some nice boys or nice girls. Some of you come here for the wrong reasons. But here's the key. Even though the multitude came to Jesus for the wrong reasons, Jesus still had compassion on them and met them and met their needs. You see, I don't know why you're here tonight, but that doesn't matter. What matters more is the fact that Jesus is willing to meet you as long as you're willing to come to him. Jesus has compassion on this multitude and takes time to teach them and feed them even though they're ignorant of his true purposes and he can do that same thing with you. Now some people, what they try to do is find the secret will of God and say, if only I knew God's plan for my life, then I would be able to get him to do the things that I want him to do for me. Or if only I knew what God was thinking and you're, you're praying and Lord, just show me where you want me to go and what you want me to say and what you want me to do. As if, if you knew the secret plan that God had for you, what college he wants you to go to, who he wants you to marry and whatever, if you knew that secret plan and secret will, all of a sudden, he will give you those things. And until you know those things, then he's just going to hide and be like, well, good luck, but you're on your own. But you see, that's not true. Regardless of what you know about God, God is willing to meet you and, and, and feed you and to, pr to provide for you. And in fact, sometimes we're, we're always looking for these, these mystical signs and, and these wonders and God just show me a sign, you know, uh, I used to pray that God would turn the light switch on and off to show me that he was there and show me that he was real and all those other things. But really, the will of God is found in his word. It's found in our desire when we've come to know him and we walk with him. Here's something that you probably haven't heard before. You know, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else who can know it. We all know that. But as you walk with the Lord, you actually have your desires change. God, all, all of a sudden, in your heart, he removes that heart of stone, gives you a heart of flesh. All of a sudden, you want the things that he wants. And so when you want the things that he wants, the Bible says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. So it's an interesting thing. So not only do you have the word of God confirming, and then you have the desire. Some of you, as I spoke to you before at the England meeting, some of you, some of you might have a good desire to go to England. And that desire itself might be placed there by God. And then lastly, you, you vet it with your multitude of counselors, the people that you consider to be wise in your life, not just your own age, you know, older people, wiser people who have experienced things. And that's how you can determine what is God trying to say to me and what does he want me to do. But don't worry about getting it right before you come to Jesus. Just worry about getting the right person. Worry about meeting the right deity because there's only one, and that's Jesus Christ. And so verse 4, we read on, it says, Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. I think that's kind of funny. Like, Jesus sees the problem here. All right, we got 5,000 people following us, and we need to feed them. You know, I lead mission trips, and we have like, 
20 people, and I'm like, oh, where are we going to eat? What are we going to do? 5,000 people following you, and they're all hungry. What are we going to do? And so Jesus asks one of his disciples, so how are we going to feed all these people? And I can imagine Philip being like, you're asking me? Like, you're the one who's the God of the universe, and you're asking me what we should do. But Jesus asked him to point out the need to Philip, to bring it to surface. Maybe you've had the Holy Spirit do this in your life. God has spoken to you in that still, small voice. And you've been sitting in a Bible study and you hear that still, small voice pointing out your need. Yeah, I should, I should really change that thing. Or maybe you've heard a sermon or something and, and you know that all of a sudden I have to forgive that person. You know, I've had that happen to me so many times. You know, I, I remember I don't get angry often to the point of violence. There's only like one time, and I think I've shared this with you before, when I was like... Uh, I, I had a good friend of mine, and we were sitting in lunch, and out of nowhere, he started making fun of Michael Jackson, and he wouldn't stop, so I just punched him in the face. Yeah, I didn't, I don't know what happened. I just got really offended. He's like, Michael Jackson's dumb. He's like, I hate those songs. I'm like, you don't know Michael like I do. Bam, just punched him. And then, to make matters worse, the first punch, because I don't like punch people, the first punch was like a wimpy punch. I was like, wow, if I leave it at that, He's going to think that I'm like a sissy, so I punched him again. <laughs> and then later on, I felt really convicted, and I bought him a chocolate Easter egg, and we went to the mall, and we were friends again. <laughs> the end. He's here with us now. No, he's not. We're not friends anymore. Anyway, continuing on. <laughs> it's not because of that. Shh, shh, shh. Jesus doesn't point out the problem simply to make us stressed out. Jesus doesn't convict us just so that he's like, so what are you going to do about the anger? So uh, what are you going to do about that sin in your life? Oh, wait, you can't do anything about it. You're incapable. No, he does this for two reasons. So that we admit that we're incapable. And secondly, so that we can admit that he is able to supply all of our needs. When Jesus says to you, hey, you really should forgive that person. All of a sudden you think about it and you're like, but that means... I have to let go of this bitterness and this anger and all the things that I'm harboring. You know, you're constantly thinking about what that person said to you. You're replaying it in your mind and it hurts. And Jesus is saying, give that up. And you don't want to. And he's saying, I know you don't want to. I know that you actually can't do that. But I'm pointing that out so you admit that you need my help. And that's what Jesus does to Philip. He points this out so that Philip realizes I can't feed 5,000 people. Are you crazy? And because of that, Jesus has the answer. And in fact, what happens, we, we find out later, if you go to verse 7, it says, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. It's about eight months wages. So you work for eight months, that's all your money, bam. And he says, it's not even sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? You know, what's really interesting to this, uh, about this to me is that Philip wasn't concerned about filling the people. He was concerned about getting through the situation. He wasn't concerned about everyone being satisfied. He says, even if we work for eight months, we take all that money, it still would not even be enough to, for everyone to get even just a little bit. And here we have this little kid over here who has, you know, these loaves of, that are barley loaves, which are the poor person's bread. 
and we got fish, and that's about it. But what is that amongst so many people? He wasn't concerned about filling people, satisfying people. He was concerned about just getting through the situation. How many of us look at trials in that same way? How many of us look at God not as our savior, but as our therapist? God, I just, I had this problem today. Oh my gosh, it's so difficult. You need to send me your peace and send me your comfort, send me your love, which are all true things. And he wants to give those things to you. But oftentimes we, we treat God like he hasn't won the battle. Like he hasn't given us the victory. If I just get through this, Lord, just, would you just move in, in my life so I can get through this situation? Jesus doesn't want you to just get through. You realize, like, look at the attitude of some of these people in the Bible. What about Paul? He says, I can glory in tribulations. James, he says, count it all joy when you enter trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. Was that the attitude Daniel took when they said that he's going to be thrown into the lion's den? And I was like, yeah, business as usual. I'm going to go out and pray three times a day. That's what I do. It didn't move him. It didn't phase him. What about David? When everyone else is hiding from Goliath, this giant of a man, this little kid walks up to him and says, well, why isn't anyone doing anything? If you look at the people in the Bible, I think oftentimes it puts us to shame. Thinking about Joseph, sold into slavery, right? Put into jail. He resists temptation. He's put into jail, falsely accused. And then when he tells a person in the jail with him, he's like, yeah, this is the interpretation of your dream. He still relies on God for interpretations of dreams. This guy gets out and says, hey, hey, can you remember me when you go back into Pharaoh's court? And the guy's like, yeah, man, I'm totally with you. And he abandons him, completely just forgets about him. What does the Bible record about Joseph's bitterness? Nothing, actually. Actually, Joseph, when he sees his brothers, that he should have had, he had every right to just behead them and just completely like humiliate them when they came back to him in need of food, Joseph said, hey, don't worry about it. Paraphrase. He said, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And his forgiveness was so unbelievable that his, his brothers didn't actually trust that what he was saying was true. They thought he was holding something back and he was really going to kill them and he was going to shame them. But really, he was able to forgive them because he was relying on God to give them that forgiveness. God doesn't want you to just get through a situation. He wants to satisfy you. He wants to fill your cup to overflowing. God wants to give you the living bread that endures. He doesn't want to give you this peasant bread. It's just like, yeah, just, you're going to make it. No, but he has joy and that more abundantly available for every single person who trusts in him. Faith instead brings expectations. Like Abraham. He expected something because he trusted in a living God. It says in Romans chapter 4, verse 20 through 22. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. You see, Abraham, because he fully believed, he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, that's what was accounted to him as righteousness. He was a good guy. Why? Because he put faith, real genuine faith. God does not want you to just get through a trial. He wants you to trust through a trial. That may be a point for you to write down today. 
God doesn't want you to just get through a trial. He wants you to trust through a trial. Because when we worry and fear, our problems just get bigger and bigger. What are these among so many? What are these loaves among so many people? How can we deal with this situation when there's such a big need? But if you think about it, if God created the universe out of nothing, couldn't he make something out of a couple loaves, out of a couple fish? Many people in our day don't really understand peace, I think. People think that peace is a lack of worry. If only I was able to get away from my situation. There's so many things on my mind. I'm so stressed out. If only I could just go on vacation. If only I could just stop going to school. If only I could graduate and, and get, you know, go to college or be away from those people that stress me out. But you realize what you're saying? You're saying in order to have peace, you need to have complete control over your situation. And by that, you need to be control in control over nothing. Because you can't control what people think of you, because you can't control your grades and what happens at school, you need to be in a place where nothing is in your control so that you can have peace. You need to just get rid of everything. But you realize true peace only comes from God. And in fact, true peace is placing complete trust in one who has complete control. True peace is placing complete trust in one who has complete control. Many of you know that I go rock climbing a lot. You know, the first time I ever went outside, um, we were, you know, I climbed a cliff. I was fine with that. And like, we're tied to a rope and I'm rappelling down. Now, rappelling is something I've never done before up to that point. And so I'm at the top of the cliff. I was in control on the way up. You know, I'm climbing very safely. It was a little scary. I mean, you're climbing 100 feet still. But on the way down, you know, the rope is tied to a tree at the top. And I'm like, all right, starting to lower myself down. And I couldn't actually get over the side of the cliff because I guess he didn't hear me or whatever. I wasn't really sure what he was doing, the guy who was holding the rope at the bottom. And so I'm like pulling with all of my strength to jump over the cliff so I could get down. And I was like, I don't think this is safe. But as I'm going down, it's not like I could climb down. I had to place my complete trust in one who had complete control of the situation. It's like I've said before, complete trust, complete peace is like when you're three years old and you're sleeping in the car as your dad or your mom drives. You're at complete peace. You're complete rest because you're trusting that the person has complete control of the situation. And if you don't trust, the fact is you just need to know your God. If you're in a car with a random stranger, why would you trust them with driving? You have no idea who they are. They're creepy. But trust doesn't mean that you'll, you'll never experience sorrow. I'm not saying that if you're trusting, you're never going to experience fear. It means despite your feelings, you're committing the situation into his hands. Because if you put them in God's hands, just like he can, if you put the loaves of bread into God's hands, he can multiply it. If you put your situation into God's hands, he can multiply your peace and whatever it is that you need. That's who our God is. Psalm 94 verses 18 and 19 says, If I say my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. That's exactly what God does. As you, know to God, as you get to know God better, you're actually freed from anxiety, even in trials. Because you know that he's in control of the situation. Look at verse 10. This is the first thing that Jesus does. Ready for this? Make the people 
sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. This kind of reminds me as a type of Psalm uh, chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, if you're trusting in the Lord, he's able to give you that rest, enabling you to sit down, to relax, know that he's in control. Look at verse 11. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to, uh, to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. They were filled, and they were, there were actually enough baskets left over talk about exceeding expectations it's not like God's like all right enough so that people get a little bit but they had enough to be filled if we put matters into Jesus's hands he's always able to provide exceedingly abundantly above everything that you could ask or think you know I used to pray so many times when I was young especially when I was you know in the single digits when I was like eight years old, I used to pray, Lord, would you show yourself to me? Would you make yourself real to me? So many times, and I felt like that prayer wasn't answered. And now if I look at my life, it's like, of course I know that God's real. I've experienced him in so many different ways. And if it, if maybe you're in that place. You know, I talked to a student this past week, and I asked him, have you had a time in which you can say, I have experienced God? I've met him. And he said, honestly, I don't think I, I can. And that's okay. You don't have to forge it. You don't have to pretend. In fact, you should be honest about that so that you can pray that same prayer. Lord, would you make yourself real to me? And I promise you, just as the Bible promises, if you seek him, you'll find him. If you seek him with all of your heart. If you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Anyone that comes to Jesus, he'll by no means cast out. We'll find out a little bit later in this chapter. What I really like about this too, though, Beyond the fact that they were filled, nothing was wasted. Even the bread that was left over was collected and saved for later. There was just so much, so much abundance, enough for the disciples to get food, enough for the 5,000 to get food. Jesus supplied every one of their needs over and beyond. Look at verse 14. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Remember the prophet being the one that Moses predicted would come. Verse 15, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now, because there was an expectation that the Messiah, the Savior, was coming around that time period, the Savior of the world, the Jewish expectation, if you remember, was that there would be this uh, Messiah who would be political and take over the government, overthrow Rome because Rome was controlling uh, the land over, over there with the Jews for a long time. And because of that, they were looking for a king to overthrow this evil government and that's what they expected. They didn't expect a suffering savior. They weren't expecting Jesus to come and die for their sins. It was a completely different need and they completely missed that altogether. But you know, God being with you 
does not mean that God will do what you tell him to do. Just because God is with you doesn't mean he's going to follow what you expect and do what you want. And so when Jesus uh, fed the 5,000, this reminded them of Moses. Moses, when he, uh, he was used to bring forth the manna. Remember, they were wandering in the desert. And throughout that, God let them gather bread right off the ground and eat it. And they, they were like, what is it? And they called it, what is it? That's what manna means. Very creative, those people. They have 40 years to come up with a name, and they just came up with, what is it? And so because that type reminded them of the time long ago, they looked at Jesus and expected him to do the things that they wanted to do. You know, some of you may base your faith on prayer. What I mean by that is you'll pray something, and if it doesn't come true the way that you expect it, well, maybe God isn't listening. Maybe God doesn't care. You know, that's a very dangerous way to pray. If we're praying that God would be in alignment with our will. Lord, would you move in this situation this way that I'm asking you to do it? And that's why we have to pray for God's will to be done, not our will. And sometimes you have very serious situations too. Sometimes you pray for healing and it doesn't seem to go your way. Don't let that shake your faith because your faith is not based on unanswered prayer. Because God does say no sometimes. You need to base your faith that God works all things together for good and he knows better than you. His thinking's higher than your thoughts and his ways are higher than your ways. So in fact, when he says no, it's not because he hates you, it's because he loves you. Just like a loving father says no to their child for certain things, when they want another McDonald's cheeseburger, sometimes they gotta say no because it's gonna rot your stomach and it's not good for you. So is our heavenly father. Look at verse 16. Now when the evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Okay, a man's walking on water, and I'm supposed to not freak out right now. Okay. <laughs> then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. The Gospel of Mark actually gives us some more detail into this story. Here's Jesus. He tells them, get into a boat. I, you know, I need to ditch this crowd. They're following me everywhere. I just need you to meet me on the other side, get into the boat, and trust I'll be there. And so they had to trust his unseen care and provision. And Jesus also talks about in Mark that Jesus watched them as they rode. So putting these two Gospels together, we realize that Jesus told them to go into the boat and also watched them while they were seemingly getting nowhere. I mean, it says when they had, in verse 19, they had rode about three or four miles. Realize that this is only about halfway across. They were rowing for six to eight hours, and it was about three to six a.m. in the morning. Only halfway. Can you imagine how discouraged they were? Jesus told us to get on a boat, and right now I feel very alone. Uh, he told me to go through this situation, and right now I don't see God working in my situation. God, did you really call me here? You ever have those situations? You, step, you take a step of faith, and God's calling me to do this. I know it. And then because you don't see any progress, you just assume maybe this isn't God's calling after all. Maybe you start a group. Maybe you start a Bible study. Maybe you start a prayer group. 
And because you don't see progress, you just assume maybe this isn't what God wanted after all. That's not true. God's watching, and as long as you're walking in His ways, He will direct your steps. you got to trust in Him that He has His unseen care. And also, as it says in verse 21, the boat immediately was at the land where they were going. God can immediately clear up the storm. God can immediately bring you to where you need to go. It's just a matter of days. Some of you are like, man, I've been single forever, and it's just taking forever. God, when, when are you sending me, you know, my... Samson, I guess. I don't know. That's a bad example because he was a bad person eventually. And you need to realize that God has his timing. And when he has the day appointed for you to, to be born, day appointed for you to die, there's a day appointed for you to be married. And you can't make that day come one day sooner. But God could change, change your life in an instant. Some of you are waiting for direction and Lord, no open doors. I don't know what college I want to go to. I don't know what job. I, I don't, you're just so concerned. But realize God can change everything in a matter of moments. And by you just freaking out about it, it's not going to help. Instead, take all of your worries and cast them before the Lord. We also learn from this short little passage that it's not always easy. Sometimes you will be rowing really, really hard and still get nowhere. Life isn't meant to be easy. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulations. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And sometimes it's scary. Sometimes the situation you're in is not only hard, but you're terrified. God, are you still there? Do you still care about me? And what you need to realize is just as the disciples realized, Jesus was walking on the water. He was with them. And even in the scariest of moments, God can be there. Even in the times that you're in the deepest of pits, you feel like you're at your wit's end. Jesus is there. That's what Psalm 139 tells us. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I go from your presence? If I go to the mountains, you're there. If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I go to the pit of hell, you're still there. God won't leave you. He won't forsake you. He's not going to leave you alone. And in fact, you just got to trust that even when you don't see him, he sees you. What's also interesting about this is how it so uh, parallels the Exodus story. Remember, the people were leaving Egypt, and they too had a peril with water. They were stuck. They didn't know how to get across. Yet God was able to provide the way for them to get to the other side. In the same way, the disciples were stuck, and Jesus was able to make that way to the other side. Look at verse 21, or 22, sorry. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there, except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into the boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered him and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. So let me summarize that because you probably zoned out. I mean, I zone out all the time. So here we go. Jesus is being sought after. 
by the people that he fed, the 5,000, you know, got a free meal. And now they're like, man, that was awesome. I want to see him do it again. Yeah, he's got some free food. Let's go find him. So they're looking, looking, see the disciples. No, he's not there. He's not there. Okay, where is he? And oh, Jesus, what a funny coincidence. You just happen to be here, and I happen to be hungry. So <laughs> what can you do for me? And Jesus is like, you're, you're only here because you just want more food. But don't work so hard for, for food that perishes. Work for food that endures to everlasting life. And they're like, what? Are you, what? Food that lasts forever? Are you talking about like McDonald's cheeseburgers that never rot? You just put them in like, you know, your cupboard and you find them in 10 years and they retain the same shape and same size? No, because if you eat that, you will probably die. That's not good food. Instead, he's talking about the food that endures in energy. You know, when you eat normal food, you need to eat again because you become empty again. You digest it. But the food that endures gives you energy continually so that you don't need to be filled with anything else. It's never a question of, are you empty? We've talked about that before. But yes, of course, the world will leave you empty. But people are always constantly trying to fill themselves with things of this world. It's not a question of, are you hungry? Everybody's hungry and everyone's filling themselves with something. Are you filling yourself with a thing that endures? Are you filling yourself with the things of God, the things of heaven? You know, if you're not a Christian here today, you probably have no idea what I'm saying. And I get that. But let me explain it to you this way. If you trust in anything but God, it will die. It will perish. Example, you trust in some good things. You trust in your relationship. You love your girlfriend. You love your boyfriend. They just love you back. And it's perfect. You don't even fight. Wow, that's amazing. That's great, but the sorry news is at what, one point or another, they will fail you. And when they fail you, when they lie to you and are like, I thought you, I thought you were my everything. I, I thought I could trust you with anything. You told me, you told this one thing about me. You lied about this one thing. And all of a sudden, you're, you feel like you can't trust anybody at all. And if not, if that never happens, someone's going to die eventually because humanity itself is temporal. And because of that, you have to put your trust in someone who is eternal. Someone who will never fail you. I mean, if you are placing God-like expectations on your significant other, you're going to crush them with your expectations. You better not fail me. You better not lie to me. You better not cheat on me. Because the minute that they do, you just completely ditch them. You run away from them. But you're putting expectations on them that they were never supposed to fulfill. It's the same thing with anything else. If you eat a burger, you can't place godlike expectations on that burger. Eventually, it's going to digest. It's going to go away. And if not, then you're going to have to get surgery to get it out. You need to look for things that last, whether it's relationships, if it's money. And you're saying, if only I had enough money. No, you always need money. And then when you have more things and more things, you'll, you'll have more things that you have to take care of. More stress and who's watching my money? Now I have to have investors and make sure that my money's protected and in good banks. And you have more stress because you have more things that you have to pay attention to. Whatever it is, whatever you're trusting in, if it's not God, it will fail you. And that's what you need to know if you're not a Christian here today. We as Christians don't just say this just because we like to feel better about ourselves, but we know that we can place our hope in someone that doesn't fail. 
Look at verse 28 with me. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he sent. You know, they're looking at Jesus and like, man, it must be nice to be you. I want to try that. How can you do what you're doing? Like, you know, the magic trick you did with like the food and like, I saw what Moses did back in the day. I guess I didn't personally, but like, we've all heard about what Moses did back in the day with the manna and stuff. Like, I want to do that too. How do you do that? And what Jesus says is it's not about what you do. It's who you trust. He actually goes on to say later on that you have to, (laughs) he's like, you're talking about Moses. Like, who do you think gave Moses the manna? It wasn't Moses. It was God. From the beginning, it's always been God. He's always been the one who provides. But before we even get to that, some of us might be asking that question, how can I achieve that abundant life? So what what do I have to do? Like, do I have to go out and, like, be a good person? Do I have to, like, love my enemies and, and try really hard to read my Bible and go to church and pray and stuff? Those are great things, but you can't achieve an abundant life an everlasting life, you can only receive it. It's a free gift of God. Otherwise, you just brag about it. Look what I got, eternal life. No, you can only receive what God has given you. Some of you might ask a different question. How can I stop myself from sinning? I know that when I sin, it ruins my life. Maybe you know that. Maybe you have an addiction to one thing or another. Maybe some of you are smoking pot. Some of you are addicted to pornography. Some of you can't help but jump from relationship to relationship. And you know it's hurting you. And you know you're hurting other people, but you just can't stop. What in the world do you do? How can I stop sinning? How can I obtain that abundant life that I know intellectually is is out there for me, but I just keep on messing up? All the things that I don't want to do, I do. And all the things that I, I, I don't want to do, I wind up doing anyway. How can I stop that? Your greatest challenge in life, everyone look up here. Your greatest challenge in life isn't stopping sin. It's believing the good news of Jesus. Your greatest challenge isn't, I need to be a better person. I need to stop doing what I'm doing. It's believing that Jesus died for your sins. Every single one of them, both past, present, and future. And to the degree that you believe the good news, the gospel, is to the degree that you'll be willing to forsake the sin. But it has to come first. The belief must come before the action. You're going to have actions naturally if you allow God to transform your life, but do you believe that God does that? Do you believe that God does provide a life eternal, abundant? And if that's true, when you're engaging in sin, you'll say, you know what, there is something better out there, and I'm willing to wait for it. You know, in the moment, it feels really good, but I know I'm not going to feel that way tomorrow. You know, in the moment, I want to trust this thing or trust that person, but I know they can't give me what I really want, what I really need. And what I really need is someone to love me unconditionally, not based on what I do for them and not based on what I say. You need to be loved by someone who loves you at your worst, not at your best. And the only person who does that is God. No matter what they say or how they act, the only person who can do that is God because only he is perfect. Look at verse 30. 
Therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the man in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Moses, surely I say to you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. If today is a good day, I've said this before. If today is a good day, it's not because today is a special day. It's because God is especially good. If you receive something good from God, it's not because you did something good. It's because God is good and he wants to give it to you. Let me break that down. If you're having a good day, the sun is shining and things are going right. You're talking to the right people and, and people are like, man, you're just, you just seem so filled with the spirit today. Just like, I'm just so blessed by you. Like, yes, I am a blessing to others, aren't I? If that's your life, it's not because you're a good person that God is blessing you. It's because God is one who blesses, regardless of how you act. And if you don't believe that, what happens is the minute you do something wrong, you figure that God's going to punish you. You're going to look for the lightning bolt. Like, God, when are you going to zap me? And when things do go wrong, it's because I did something wrong. No. God is going to be good regardless if you're good. He's faithful even when we're faithless. He's good even when we're bad. And so these people are like, well, well you better do something good. You better uh, try to, to show us what you can do. But really, God feeds both the people that believe in him, fully trust in him, and he feeds the people that will reject him. He offers the bread to anyone that is out there. And that's what he continues on to say in verse 36. Uh, verse 35, sorry. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. The question is not, are you good enough to come to Jesus? The question is, are you willing to come to Jesus? You don't have to get everything right. You don't have to know everything about God to come to him. You just have to be willing to come to him. You need to be willing to surrender your, your trust and control to him. Not because you're like, well, you know, I, I just, you know, Christianity is a crutch. No, it's not. It's a cure. I've heard that from someone before. But it's true. Rely on God because he's the only one who can heal you. But that means that you're going to have to sacrifice some things. That means you're going to have to give up sin, which is good for a season. It's pleasurable for a time, but... In the end, it's destruction. It ruins your life. You will have to give up a lot of things for God. But nothing you give up to God is ever wasted. He has a purpose for every single thing in your life. Even your mistakes. So the question is, will you believe the words of the world or will you believe the words of God? The words of the world are as follows. Believe in yourself. Just love yourself. Look for, you know, what's best for you and your best interests. Will you believe that? Which has no guarantee that it's right. It's just people say, and it's repeated so, so many times, that like, it must be true. And when people are successful and say it, it makes it even harder. Because now you're like, well, they're successful and they say it, so it must be true. No, it's just the fact that God is good regardless if, if we're good or not. And God will bless even sinful people and give them what they want. But all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. 
So will you believe those empty words of the world that will always leave you hungry? And here's the test. Do you feel good after the fact? When you're sinning, no. Or will you believe the words of God which endure to everlasting life? Not only in this life, but also in heaven. Who are you going to trust? You trust the God of the universe or someone that you saw on YouTube? You're going to trust the God of the universe or your friend who's like 15 years old? Like, yeah, believe me, I have a lot of experience my 15 years. Don't even take my word for it. I'm only 25 years old. What do I know? Believe God, the words of God. But that means you have to read the words of God. You have to open up the book and say, well, Lord, uh, here I am. I don't know if you're real, but would you show yourself to me? And it says that he who comes to God, he will by no means cast out. Let's pray. Father, there are many people that are seeking here tonight. They've been searching for such a long time for something that is true. They've been lied to so many times. There's been people that have been advertising, promising, and no one's been fulfilling. But Lord, every single promise that you give is fulfilled. And can fill us. So Lord, would you help us trust in you? Would you give us greater faith to believe what you say? We thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you that you're good even when we're not. We thank you that you provide for us even when we come to you for the wrong reasons. But we know that that just, that shows how much you love us. So be with us, Lord, for the rest of this night. And we pray for Jeffrey's stomach too. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. (laughs)